Uh, you're going to be blessed this morning. Uh, we have Rob Chestnut from Czech Republic here. Certainly no stranger to Integrity Church. Uh, he's a good friend, a great brother in the Lord, and a real man of God doing a work uh, for the kingdom of God in, in Eastern Europe. And so uh, we are so excited to have him come. Uh, I'm going to ask him to come up at this time. Let's give him a warm Integrity work welcome. Well, good morning, Integrity Church. It is wonderful to be with you in person. Uh, the last time my family was here in Long Island, there was a hurricane, and uh, so we had to cancel church. But then, as Josh informed us this morning, there was a huge thunderstorm last night. So when we come again next time, there'll hopefully be just a light breeze out of the east uh, I don't know. Weather changes. I, we're not bringing it ourselves, okay? It's not intentional. I'll put it that way. Uh, but we are the Chestnuts. I'm, I'm Rob. That's my wife, Audrey, there in the back. And the girls are enjoying uh, kids' church this morning. They've had a smorgasbord of different kids' churches to kind of sample and taste. So at the end, we're going to put them all together and make the superest kids' church that's ever existed because they're taking notes on all the places they go. Um, we are with an organization called Josiah Venture. And uh, if you know your Bible well, uh, Josiah became king when he was how old, Josh? Good job. You went to Moody. I didn't, so I need to double check these things. He w- it, Josiah became king when he was eight, but when he was 18, he found the book of the law in the temple and with that was able to change the hearts and minds of the nation of Israel and turn them back to God in a way that no one had done before uh, since David. And so our mission is to be a movement of God among the youth in Central and Eastern Europe that finds its home in the local church and transforms society. So we're looking for those young Josiahs, those men and women who we feel when they come to an understanding of Jesus Christ can have that impact and transform society for themselves. And we do this through evangelistic outreach. We do this through disciple making, education, a number of various avenues of ministry. And when we first started with JV, we were a part of the English camp team. Uh, some, some people from Integrity have even been on some of those English camps, but we've now transitioned into the international team. Because JV is an organization of 14 different countries, all under one umbrella. And we go from Estonia in the north, all the way down to Montenegro in the south. And if you have no idea where any of those places are, it's okay. This is what geography is. It's totally fine. You can look it up on Google Maps later. Uh, But in all of those countries, we have 360 missionaries Uh, over 60% of which are first culture, meaning that they are Czechs serving in the Czech Republic. They are Slovaks serving in Slovakia, Poles in Poland, and on and on. So behind the scenes, in order to help all of them be the best they can be, uh, is this international team. And that's where we sit at the moment. And it's been a real encouragement to not just have just a Czech focus, but to be able to have a whole regional focus and to see what God is doing in these places. Um, we've actually been with JV, it'll be 10 years, uh, this fall. We're really excited to celebrate that one. And every couple years we come back and visit our supporters. So we've been here in the States since June 16th and, uh, seeing different people traveling all around the country, but we saved the best for last, right? I mean, yes, you want to end a trip on Long Island 
because when you return the rent car to the Avis place on 112, just magic happens. I mean, you walk in and I'm instantly in this Seinfeldian episode of this one woman goes, are you picking up a returning? What car does he have? I want his car. He get, I, get, I get his car. I get dibs on his car. And I just, it was 30 minutes. Audrey even had to text me like, are you fine? I said, I'm in the best place I've ever been. I mean, this, you couldn't script some of the things that happened in this space. And then it was confirmed at the end of first service when like, I know where you are. Last time I went in, someone busted in. They just threw the keys at the back of the room as hard as they could. So it's great to be with you. It's great to be in person. And it's great to be able to share not only from the word, but also give a bit of an update as to what ministry looks like for us. And, uh, and also just to thank you for your support of us over these many, many years. Uh, the last time uh, I spoke when I was here at Integrity, uh, even in a virtual sense, I talked from the Sermon on the Mount, and I'd like to continue that. But the, the, the first time I spoke in the beginning, and this time I want to speak on the end. So you can go to Matthew chapter 7, and uh, we'll look at verses 24 through 27 to kick things off. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' most complete teaching. It really is kind of the manual of how to live a Christian life. Uh, it's, it's a snapshot of the kingdom that is coming, but it also is something that I feel I, I keep going back to in my own life. But the tail end of it always is the wrap-up. This is, you know, the most important part you want people to be able to walk away with. So Matthew chapter 7, 24 to 27. Therefore... Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down. The streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Now again, this is the, this is the key takeaway that you want people to remember. And what Jesus is essentially saying is, if you put all of this into practice, if you build your life on this foundation of what I've just communicated, when hard times come, and hard times will come, you will be able to withstand. Now, it doesn't say that if you build your life on this, that you're going to have no problems and everything is going to be great. No, the same scenario of when you build on the foundation and when you build on the sand, you still get the same situation. It's not an easy ride. And everyone who was listening to that would also understand what it is to build a house on a foundation. Uh, We have been traveling. Like I said, we drove 3,200 miles uh, since June 16th. It's been a great, a great American road trip. And we've stayed in, I think it was 14 or 15 different beds uh, by final tally. And every place we went, uh, everybody was talking about building and their property taxes. Sometimes more the property taxes, sometimes more the building. It depends on the location. But everybody seemed to be talking about building. And, and I'm kind of a, I enjoy architecture a little bit. So it's always fun to see like, oh yeah, we want to take this wall out. And, you know, we want to raise this up and turn the house this way and throw it in the water. I don't know, you know. But so when we're in Florida, uh, everybody wants to build where in Florida? On the beach. Great idea. What could possibly go wrong? Uh, they want to build on the beach. And so you go and you look at these like houses, like these new American castles on the beach. 
uh, we went and stayed with some friends in South Carolina, and the, the land there is kind of like just all over the place. And so it's interesting to see that this, the, the one place we stayed had this massive, what looked like a basement. It wasn't a basement. It was just the foundation. And then we stayed with friends in uh, Virginia as well, and they're on the side of the mountain. And so they've got a, a basement and a foundation, but every one of these houses has what? A foundation. Exactly. Uh, there is a famous structure uh, at Ohio State University. It's called the, the Wexner Center or something along this line. And it was the first postmodern building. And so what it was is there were stairs that went nowhere. There were doors that opened to nothing. So it's just like, you know, architecture has no meaning, just like life itself, postmodernism. Yay. But as a famous apologist, when he was being toured through and shown and they're saying like, look, this has no meaning. Look, this has no purpose. And he said, ah, yes, but is there a foundation? There's always a foundation. And this is what Jesus is talking about because, again, in the Sermon on the Mount, he has just walked us through what it is to live this Christian life, what it is to understand this kingdom. But he's also told us that the reality is that there's going to be difficulties that come up. And unfortunately, church, I think there's a bit of a problem because when we get rains and storms and things, yes, we want to build on what Jesus has said, but I think we also build on other things too. So here's a bit of a problem because I think for some of us, and, and myself included, don't get me wrong, uh, I think sometimes we build our foundations on the job that we have or maybe we build it upon the family. Or maybe we build it upon an education or a zip code or a position in work, or perhaps it's a political leaning one way or another. But society today is trying to build a foundation on things that just don't last. And if I can ask you, how is that going? Exactly, exactly. Uh, when we look back at the last 10 years uh, with JV, we have seen a tectonic shift in culture in Europe today. Um, you know, the EU has become this new land of opportunity, and especially in the, the better part of the last five years, I would say, it's a completely different world. When we were down in Florida visiting with some supporters, someone came to me and said, okay, so aside from the people... What do you, like, really miss here in the States? Uh, Chick-fil-A? Like, uh, it, it, it's crazy. Like, sorry, we just got Amazon Germany. Our lives are fine. We don't, we don't need anything anymore. Uh, it, it's, it's wild to see how much change has taken place. Did you know that the Czech Republic has a higher GDP than Italy? I mean, right? I heard a wow. That, that's good enough for me here. Like, there, there has become opportunity, the likes of which never existed uh, previously in this country. Uh, you, you see financial increase, and so therefore the world just becomes so much smaller. And young people uh, are benefiting from this in ways they never have before. They can go to school in different countries. They can work in different countries. They can travel. They have stuff. I mean, literally, the kids in our youth group, some of them have better smartphones than I do. That's not supposed to happen. 
So, I mean, you, you see these changes taking place, but with that, with those things, we've also seen them move from this kind of critical thinking uh, society to a little bit more complacent. Why? Because of stuff, things. And when you build your foundation and your life on stuff and things, let me ask the question one more time, how does that work out? And what could possibly go wrong with that dynamic? Oh, 2020. What a great year 2020 was, right? Ugh. I mean, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. The last time we were here two years ago, there was still about six months left of the pandemic uh, in our region. And, and to witness all of the opportunities that had been lost amongst young people was staggering. Key life moments, things that were just supposed to be there, gone in an instant. And the reality was that all of the stuff that was supposed to give them the satisfaction and make them feel good, those little devices in their back or front pockets, well, they actually made life a lot worse. Because as they were trapped in their homes, just doom scrolling through the day, things got progressively more and more complicated. And as you've heard of a mental health crisis here in the United States, I can say that we have a similar one, not only in the Czech Republic, but in every single one of the countries we serve in. Young people today are affected by those last few years, the ways in which we're still trying to wrap our heads around and understand so much so that our, or, our own organization, this September, for our annual training events, we're doing it on mental health because we need to understand how best to meet the needs of young people today. Uh, the Czech Republic actually submitted a report to the United Nations. This is from the Czech Ministry of Health. And uh, it, it, I just wanted to read you these opening lines. The crisis associated with the COVID-19 pandemic has affected the whole society, including young people. The COVID-19 crisis has had significant psychosocial impact on young people, causing disruption in their education and economic opportunities, so social isolation, or health issues. In the first months of the pandemic, 20% of respondents stated that they had suffered from impaired mental health at least moderate depression or anxiety. And this was a more than three-fold increase on the figure prior to the pandemic, which stood at just 6%. The first months of the pandemic, it jumps up three-fold for young people. And like I said, we have seen this ripple effect in all of the countries that we are working with. It was a grim outlook because for so many of us we're saying how I mean we we just weathered the storm of the pandemic now we need to figure out what to do with this what what else could possibly go wrong and ironically enough this report was published February 18th 2022 and six days later Russia invaded Ukraine the impossible of impossible 
impossibles took place. War in Europe, something not seen for over 70 years, a reality. I mean, uh, the, our, our team sadly has said uh, that COVID ended on Wednesday because the war started on Thursday. And for so many of us, we felt like there was literally no pause, no break to move out of one crisis and right into the next one. What on earth are we supposed to do? And as we looked at Europe from a distance, they were thrown into chaos and confusion. Why? Because of what their foundation was built upon. We're a functioning, capable uh, society. We just don't do these sorts of things. I'd like to say for myself that I was unshaken uh, in the midst of this. But February 24th, when we went to bed, uh, in my mind, I was thinking, okay, uh, we need to pack a bag, we need to get some plane tickets, we need to have an exit strategy because this is not going to go the way we think it's going to go, and we need to get out of here. And, and that was just us six-some hours away from the border. Our own team operating in Ukraine, our country leaders spent 40 hours getting out of the country, and all of us are like, what are we going to do? People started streaming across the borders, refugee crisis. Like, this isn't... We're youth workers, okay? We don't do this stuff. Ugh. So what happens? What comes next? Out of a pandemic, into an invasion, what can we do? It was hard to pray, honestly. It was hard to pray, it was hard to read, it was hard to kind of do much of anything in those early days. But I found myself in the Psalms, Psalm 40 in particular. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. A snapshot of that moment for me. I waited patiently, David says. There's no panic. There's no impulsive moves. And he cries out. God turns and hears him. He lifts him out of the pit and places his feet on what? A rock, a foundation, a place where he can stand. I think many of us find ourselves stuck. We find ourselves in an unsure footing. And when we cry out, God gives us that place And he puts us in there and many see and fear. They understand because of what God is doing in our own life. And almost like the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, blessed, blessed, blessed. Here you see in verse four, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. What's another word for trust? You can answer. It's safe. This is safe space. What's another word for trust? Faith. Faith. Good. Faith is right. Wait, wait, one more. One louder. Hope over here on the left-hand side. Correct. 
You know, the best part is when you already have it written in your notes and you're trying to ask the, you know, you want to get somewhere, but you hope they're going to get there. Okay, good job, everybody. Well done. A for effort. Uh, This is when things begin to take a little bit of a personal turn for me in regards to hope. I am an eternal optimist. That's why I'm a Mets fan. Uh, (coughs) Yes, yes. Uh, If you didn't know, uh, Jesus is a Mets fan because he's a man of sorrow, familiar with suffering. So uh, I I need these things. And and, but in my life, I'm always seeing the positive of stuff. You can ask my wife. It drives her up the wall on more than one occasion. Not everything is going to be positive and work out. Well, I mean, but it might. See, there you go again. But even for me in this midst, uh, it's been a rough number of years. It's been very difficult to look outside, to see the world and what is going on and to say, hey, I, I, I think we can get some positive out of this. No, it's been incredibly difficult. And yet, I would say hope, now more than ever, has been a guiding light because of what hope shows us, but also because of what hope tells us. Uh, if, if you read anything of Paul's letters He always puts hope in this sort of trifecta of faith, hope, and love right there in the middle. And uh, I want to just give you a couple examples of this one so you can see. The first is 1 Corinthians 13, 13, which is probably the most familiar. Now, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Colossians 1, 5 through 6 says, the faith and the love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel, that has come to you. 1 Thessalonians 1.3 says, We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 5, the same letter He says, but since we belong to that day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. See, hope is so significant in the believer's life that uh, the Lexham commentary says this. It says, the confidence that by integrating God's redemptive acts in the past with trusting human responses in the present the faithful will experience the fullness of God's goodness both in the present and in the future. Now, if that didn't totally compute, it's okay. That's why it's out of one of those commentaries. Let's put this in a more kind of easy to swallow understanding. It says hope essentially is you take what happened in the past. This is Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection for you. And you combine it with what you're doing now and a constant forward looking into the fulfillment of, of the promises of the kingdom that is coming. It's what's referred to as the now and the not yet. Have you heard that term before? Maybe? Okay, we've got one solid yup, but that's it. So here, we need to explain that one a little bit more so we can kind of wrap our head around it. All right, Audrey and I have been married for 17 years now, okay? That was pretty cool. And, but here's the thing, 17 years ago, when I stood at that altar and I said, I do, what did I become in that moment? A husband. It's not a trick question. Yes, I became a husband. Correct. Now, let me ask her this question, honey, 
Am I the same husband now that I was when I said I do? Thank goodness. She said no, in case you were wondering. But that's a good no, okay? It's a good no. But I mean, think about this. Like, this also applies in your life. When you made a decision to follow Jesus as a believer in this space, you're also still becoming one as it progresses on. I would hope that you're not in the same space that you were when you first made that decision in the same way that I hope I am not the same husband that I was when I first said yes. That process of refinement. So again, this is the now, I am a husband, and the not yet, the one still to come who keeps getting better and better, right? Yes? Okay, I can't, I lost you in the lights. Sorry, no, yes. Uh, another way to put and, and that's the reality of hope. Hope says, I know where this is going. It's still that which is coming. Uh, another great way to put this is, uh, how many of you watched the Apollo 13 movie? Yes? Okay, we have a couple. And how many of you, when you watched the movie, knew what happened at the end before you even watched the movie? Right? Okay, cool. So, but think about that. You're watching a movie... Knowing what happens at the end, but how were you when you watched the movie? Filled with anticipation. What's going to happen? They all survive. But what's going to happen? Like, maybe they don't. I don't know. Uh, we heard from one of the other, uh, when, we, when I gave this illustration at a different church, and they, uh, my friend said, oh yeah, my wife had no idea of the story. So we're watching the movie, and she literally is watching it all unfold. And she's like, I can't watch this. I don't know what happens. And he was like, Really? Okay. Sorry, by the way, if I spoiled that for you, it happened a very long time ago. You need to make better life choices with the movies that you watch. It's fantastic. Anyway, but think about it. You, you, you experience this thing, but yet you know what's going to happen. How does this apply in our own lives? I mean, the wind, the waves, the storms, but yet, okay, hang on. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Let's look at another passage from Paul. Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So salvation to all. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. This is the gospel. This is that kingdom that we were talking about earlier. And it teaches us to say no to all of the things that are going on in the world today. Because why? We have built a foundation on which to withstand those things. To live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. All the while, what are we doing? We are waiting. We are waiting for what? The blessed hope, the return and writing of all things, the kingdom coming, that all will be well and all will be well and all manner of things will be well. Church, we know the end of the story. We know how it's going to turn out. This is hope in action because the reality is I know what's going to happen. I know the end of the story. 
There's a song that we sing and that we really enjoy at the moment, and it says, is this how it is? Is this how it's always been to exist in the face of suffering and death and somehow still keep singing? Hope is that reality. Let's go back to Ukraine for a moment, though. So before the war, the churches that we worked with were incredibly territorial. They wanted nothing to do with the other churches, especially if we were trying to do a combined youth event. Because what they would say is, well, you're going to steal my people. And we don't want you stealing my people. Well, you're going to steal my people, so I don't want to hang out with you. I mean, it was territorial on so many different levels. And so to try and do something collectively was incredibly difficult. And yet, war happens. And how do the churches respond? Not in the territorial divide anymore. No, 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 no. They saw what truly mattered. They saw what was most important. And they have combined and been some of the most ardent frontline workers you could possibly imagine. Our organization uh, sent in over a thousand tons of supplies and they all went to these churches who are now working together to disseminate and give them out to the surrounding villages and towns and people. The churches which once stood far apart have now all come together. They are working in a unified front. And as I mentioned earlier that our organization does evangelistic camps in the summertime, the country that is doing the most camps this summer is Ukraine. How is this even possible in the face of war? And yet here we stand 500 plus days later and the enemy has not prevailed. And when we talked about the nature of young people in Europe today whose mental health is at a crisis and a tipping point, we are also seeing that in that same space, questions, wonderings, longings, because the stuff that was supposed to make them happy is no longer making them happy. The world that was supposed to be safe is no longer safe. And so they are asking and looking for something else. They are looking for hope in a future. They're looking for hope in a gospel. They just don't know it yet. But the opportunities are beginning to emerge and we are seeing a completely different generation than one we had seen before. Hope is on the horizon, church, because you know the end of the story. Our blessing is to come and share this with you because you bless and encourage us so much through your giving, through your sacrifice. Um, As you've heard from the missionaries just here, Haiti, uh, the, the reality is we know the end of the story. We know the end of the story. And we want you to be encouraged because we're all in this together. I'll leave you with one last thing. Uh, Tim Keller died earlier this year, and it was a personal loss for me because I've always viewed him as something of a North Star in ministry, of someone you could look to, but also this wiser, older, the, the Gandalf, if you will, if you like Lord of the Rings as I do, who's constantly there. And uh, earlier when he was diagnosed with this uh, terminal cancer 
uh, he was having an interview with Russell Moore from Christianity Today and was asked, how do you handle this? How do you manage this situation? And he says, as only Tim Keller can, uh, you know, my wife and I have been talking about this. And we kind of came to this point. We recognized that if Jesus Christ rose from the dead, I mean, really, and got up and walked out of that tomb, was seen by people, everything is going to be all right. Church, everything is going to be all right. Do you know why? Because you know the end of the story. We know how this all ends. I did not say it was going to be easy. I didn't say it was going to happen in the blink of an eye. No, 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 no. The storms will come. Streams will rise. The winds will blow. But we know how the story will end. Let's pray. God, I thank you that even in the midst of darkness and hopeless situations, there is always hope. I thank you for the work you were doing around the world. Lord, we pray against this war. We ask that it would come to an end. And we pray that young people would turn their hearts to you. And Lord, I would pray for this church as they continue to reach out, as they continue to be a light in dark places. And Father, thank you that regardless of where our ministries take us, be it here on Long Island, be it in Haiti, be it Central and Eastern Europe, that all will be well. And that because you walked out of that grave and because we know the end of the story, everything will be all right.